0: of our Old Testament right before um, the New Testament begins. um, And and we're concluding our series in uh, this book of Malachi. It's our practice, uh, for those of you visiting with us, uh, to stand when we read God's Word. Uh, So if you're able, would you please do that now? For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubbled. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts, remember the law of my servant Moses. Moses. His statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray together. Uh, We pray, O Holy Spirit, that You would be at work in our hearts and minds even now, that we would hear and understand and trust and be changed by this, Your Word. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So I realize I may be in um, uh, enemy territory here. Uh, but I'm I'm going to jump out there anyway, um, and it's it's because I'm from South Carolina that I that I can do this so boldly and assertively. Um, I'm a John Boy and Billy fan. I'm not a Rick and Bubba fan, so that's not that I don't like them. It just means that if the radio's on between five and nine a.m. I'm listening to John Boy and Billy on 106.5. I know in this context, there are probably more of you that were like, "You you keep those Charlotte, North Carolina people to yourself. We're not interested. We're going to stick to Rick Rick and Bubba and and be just fine." And that's 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 okay too. Um, But John Boy and Billy have this character on their morning show uh, whose name is Mad Max, Uh, and and as you might guess, he's always well angry. He's always mad. Uh, And in fact, the bit always starts and ends the same way. It always starts with John Boy. And and John Boy plays Mad Max 2, actually. So it always starts with John Boy saying, Hey, Mad Max, how you doing? And the response is always the same. How you think I'm doing? This gruff, really sort of deep, angry, countrified kind of answer. I'm mad. And that's always the way it starts. And then he goes on some tirade about some... It's usually PETA. It's usually that, I mean, but it's, you know, it's something else maybe, but it's always some political tirade of, of some sort. And then at the very end of it all, it always ends the same way too. After this, this long, raspy, gruff, I'm angry, everybody's an idiot, and I'm the only smart one in the world. And then it always ends like, this. John Boy and Billy, y'all have a nice day. And then he disappears. It's always struck me as sort of an, an odd ending to that bit. I've never have quite... I mean, you're angry, you're frustrated, and you try to end with this, are you being sarcastic? Or are you just so grumpy that it is a good day for you if you're grumpified? I mean, I, I don't understand. It just doesn't seem to fit. The, the conclusion to the bit, his last sentence doesn't seem to make sense in light of the whole rest of his tirade. he got me thinking. How would you end the book of Malachi? How would you write the ending to the book of Malachi? I mean, it's, it's been this... Now look, I'm not comparing God to Mad Max. Don't run too far with the illustration. Don't make more of it than it really is. But this whole letter has been a series of disputations, a series of charges against the people of Israel now out of exile back in Jerusalem, back in their homeland. And God brings a whole series of of charges against them. It's not... um, it's not a lovey-dovey, y'all are the greatest, I love y'all so much, and thank you. It's not that kind of a letter. At the end of it all, they're kind of looking around going, well, I mean, every angle we take, we're wrong. God started with, I love you. And, and right off the bat, they, they said, um, what now? Exactly how? What do you mean by that? How do you? How have you? You know, you do realize we just spent seventy years in Babylon. If you loved us, we would. They would spend seventy years in exile here, not the other way around. They they don't. They don't get it. They don't agree. Quite honestly. And 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 their the whole letter gives evidence to the fact that they don't love God. They don't believe His Word. They don't trust Him. They were willing to um, not just marry idolatrous women from the people around them, but they actually would divorce their believing Israelite wives in order to do so. The issue wasn't intermarriage. the The issue wasn't race. The issue wasn't nationality. The issue was believing unbelieving. Idolaters or the, the worshipers of the one true God. The priests were willing to offer blemished sacrifices. The people were willing to bring lame and blind uh, animals, lambs, to be offered as sacrifices. They, they were. We know that God has asked for an unblemished lamb, but this is close enough. He's got a little limp. I'm pretty sure the bone that He broke last year is last week, last month. I'm pretty sure it's setting right. I mean, that's close enough. The people showed their lack of obedience. They were bringing imperfect sacrifices. They, they showed their lack of trust in God by withholding the tithe and, and not bringing the full tithe into the storehouse. how would you end the letter? I'm afraid that if I were writing Malachi, I would end with, you're doomed. It wouldn't be have a nice day. It would be, and I'm going to zap you. I'm going to get you back. I'm going to... But aren't we thankful I'm not the one writing the book of Malachi? Because God ends the letter by pointing us to... The coming day of the Lord. And notice, first of all, the day of the Lord comes with a warning. The people in Malachi's day, they've been saying, I mean, in fact, they just, in the last passage, um, at the end of the last half of chapter 3, it's just not worth following God. It's just not worth keeping his commands. It's just not, because everyone else around us is. Being blessed, everyone else around us is prospering, and we on the other hand are not and so it 's just not worth it they 're convinced there 's no point in a personal relationship with God, but they seem to want to hedge their bets and keep this sort of commercial business relationship with him. They see the the wicked prospering. And the wicked are not going to get the retribution that they deserve. But notice how chapter 4 begins. The day of the Lord is a burning oven. is an oven set full blaze. It's, it's fire that consumes. Now, we've, we've seen fire before in Malachi. That was refining fire. That was fire for gold. Which purifies gold. This is not that. This is consuming fire. This is a fire that that um, that's going to burn and destroy everything that comes in contact with it. You get a hot, dry um, summer in California in the middle of a drought. It doesn't take much more than sunlight, certainly a a poorly attended campfire, an ill advised cigarette, and thousands of acres are destroyed. Dry grass, dried up wheat, um, the husks of um, the, the wheat that they may have harvested, whatever's left lying around, it, it doesn't stand a chance when the fire comes and just quickly and so easily burns through whatever is lying there on the ground. You've got a silo. You've gathered in your grain. You've kind of sifted the grain and, and kept the kernels and The husk, the the wheat, whatever's left lying around, it would burn up in an instant. It's a it's a recipe for disaster. And that's the image in verse one. God says when the when when the day of the Lord comes, it comes like an oven on fire. It's, It's gonna consume, it's gonna destroy, it's gonna kill, it's gonna burn everything in. Its path, but it's not completely everything. It's the arrogant and the evildoers. They are the stubble, they are the kindling for this fire. You remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? So hot was that oven, and it, this would be the same kind of oven, it's the same image big, giant clay dome oven that was cranked up so high that the guys that were throwing him into the fire were killed. They were burned from the heat. Sometimes at youth group on Wednesday nights, we, um, we make them work for their food and, and we do hot dogs and s'mores over the fire pit. Um, and that's always a hit because then you don't have to carry the trash inside. You just throw that on the fire and watch the plate and the cup and watch the way they just kind of melt away they're gone. They're done. They're completely burned up. That's the image. That's that's the point that God is making here at the close of Malachi. That there actually is coming a day when the day of the Lord arrives and it arrives with fire, with all-consuming, destroying fire. But you notice... It's so destructive, so complete in its work, that at the end of the verse it leaves neither root nor branch. You know, you watch from time to time the Athens utilities folks ride right around town and. Lop off branches of trees that are kind of getting near the power lines, and they leave this funny-looking tree to keep the power lines clean. And then, so it's all growing on one side, and you know, clean-shaven up the other side, the power line side. You know, they have to keep coming back, and, and they have to do that again because if, if you cut a plant, if you just cut the top off, if you lop off some branches, it doesn't kill it. It just Slows the process down a little bit. it means that eventually they're going to have to drive down that street again and cut those branches off again. It doesn't destroy the plant. This leaves no branch, but it also destroys to the root. In other words, it will be all consumed, destroyed, fully, finally, and Completely it 's not coming back it 's not going to grow back. that plant doesn't regrow when you 've burned it from top to bottom, from branch to root, when you 've all consumed it so completely, it doesn't regrow it 's a picture of total destruction Now I know that's that's not a view of the coming of Christ that's readily acceptable in our world today. I mean there's not going to be judgment. I mean Jesus may come back, but really I mean this judgment idea I just I don't know. I mean God's a god of love and he's just not going to he's not going to destroy wicked people. You know I'm not sure there are any wicked people. I mean maybe some are worse than others. But the notion of of God coming in judgment is not an acceptable view in our world today, and here God makes it ever so clear that the day of the Lord means judgment. It means the destruction of the wicked. Notice though, this day of the Lord, it comes with a warning, but it comes with a warning only for those who are arrogant and evil doers, we're told. They're the stubble. They're the the kindling for this fire. They're the the dry pieces of, I don't know, pine cone, small sticks, whatever dried grass, whatever you get that you toss in your fire pit to get the fire started, that's what they are. They're the stubble that gets burned up and consumed in that day. Of course, I'm assuming it's on the same page. In your Bibles, in, in mine, it's literally the first verse on this page. Look back at verse 15 of chapter 3. Remember that the people of Israel, we na- and now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. The people of Israel were looking at these very people, the arrogant and the evildoers, and they were convinced. Nothing happens to them. The arrogant, they're the ones that are blessed. The evildoers, they prosper, and there's no recourse. There's no retribution, there's nothing that comes to them. Those are the exact same people that God in chapter 4 says, these are the very people who will be consumed in the day of the Lord. When the great day of the Lord comes, the wicked, the evildoers, the arrogant, those who disdain God's Word will not survive. I can almost imagine the Israelites at this point in Jerusalem, semi-sort of rebuilt as it was, looking out at the people around them and and almost like you know the scrawny kid who's real mouthy and talks a bunch, but he's made real good friends with the leading tackler on the football team, the biggest, fastest linebacker they've got. Kind of hides behind the big linebacker and goes, Yeah, what he said. Talks real bit. You you can almost picture the Israelites looking out at the people around them going, Yeah, this is coming to you. This is what's coming at you. You're, you're in for it. We do that, don't we? I mean, even we as the church, we far too often kind of look at the world around us and we sling things at them and then duck back down behind the wall and go, boy, I sure am glad I'm, I'm okay. I sure am glad I'm not like them. This letter was written to Israelites. This letter was written to people in Israel among the people of Israel. This wasn't written to Babylonians, to Persians, to the people around them. Yeah, they're included, but the letter is actually written to the people of Israel. They're the ones with the command to bring the tithe into the storehouse. They're the ones with the command to bring an unblemished lamb for sacrifice. It's a letter that drives us to examine our own hearts. Do I really have a, a personal relationship with God, or is it more of a commercial business decision? I go to church usually. I um I know where my Bible is. Um but I, you know, it's God understands. We have this kind of deal. It's a contract. It's a business relationship. I do some of the things He wants me to do, kind of, and He does some things for me every now and then. That's the image of the people in Israel at this time. We have to ask, do I ever disdain His Word? Do I ever jump through the hoops just for the sake of saying, hey God, look, do you see that hoop back there? I just jumped through it. I got through it. Did you see it? Did you, you took note of that, right? You saw me. I want to make sure I get credit. We, we, we approach God that way far too often. It's easy for us to think that the wicked and the arrogant, they're all out there. They're certainly not members of Grace Covenant. They're not certainly not here on Sundays. They're definitely out there somewhere. They're in the Middle East. They're in San Francisco. They're, I don't know, Ardmore, Huntsville. They're not here. The truth is, there's evil and arrogance in all of us. The truth is, there's there's pride and wickedness and evil and selfishness and anger and hatred in every single one of us. And so God writes this letter as a warning. You may think the wicked prosper. And they may appear to for a time, but there is a day coming when the day of the Lord comes. It comes and it will consume them. Do you have a a personal relationship with God or a, a commercial business agreement, a business arrangement with Him? The day of the Lord comes with a warning, but it also comes with encouragement and hope. Because look at verse 2. You who fear my name. Now, it's like he's changed the audience now to uh, the people of verse um, 16 of chapter 3. Those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. You who fear my name. The sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. The same sun that rose and set fire to the dry stubble of the wicked evildoer is the sun that brings righteousness to those who fear God. The image—it's—it's um, it's sort of like the the rising sun flag of Japan. The, the ancient Near East had this kind of image that the sun was a circle with. Two rays of sunlight coming out on on either side. Those are sort of its its wings, as it were. The sun with its wings that, that reach out to the world it gives its light and warmth. And the sun comes up and the calves are they're let out of the stall. Actually, more an image of having been well fed. But you watch a calf. You watch the way they run and jump and kind of kick their back feet up. Or a puppy let out of his crate in the morning. You watch the way they run and play and, and jump. It's joy and peace and pleasure. That's what the day of the Lord is like for those who fear God's name. For those who who rather than disdain Him, revere Him, they stand in awe of Him and even long to obey His commands. That's the group who will leap like calves let out of their stall. For whom the day of the Lord is a day of joy and and peace and comfort and hope. The emphasis here really isn't actually on the sun, it's on the righteousness. Part of the picture here is that these who fear the Lord, who fear the name of God, they don't have a righteousness of their own. They have a righteousness that's coming from outside of them. They've they've been saved, they've been delivered by God from sin. They've received salvation from Him. They've been accepted by Him. But the picture there is of a righteousness that isn't their own. It comes from somewhere else. In other words, the faithful in verse 2, they look to the day of the Lord as the day of their own vindication. The day of their... Confirmation of the favor they have received from God. The day of the Lord comes with a warning. It also comes with encouragement and hope. But we've got to ask the question when will that day come? Because notice verse 5 Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. We've got to ask ourselves, ask ourselves the questions, when, when is this day? It was in their future. Is it in our future? Malachi was still anticipating the day of the Lord for us. Is it in our past? Or is it in our future? We know Elijah didn't, didn't come back. Uh, we know that he wasn't restored, didn't return uh, to the earth Jesus, in fact, in our New Testament reading just a few minutes ago, Jesus equates this Elijah of Malachi 4 with John the Baptist. That's why we read Matthew 17 uh, just a few minutes ago. So we would see that connection. In other words, John the Baptist is this Elijah. He's the one who prepared the way for the day of the Lord. The one who inaugurated, initiated that day with Jesus. Christ coming on His heels. He's the forerunner to the day of the Lord. For the people in Malachi's day, this day was still in their future. For us, that day has come. You're that wimpy kid? That wimpy, mouthy kid? Made friends with the big, strong linebacker and you're convinced there's a day coming when He's going to beat up everybody that's made fun of you. When He's finally... He's said, look, on, on such and such a day, I'm going, to, I'm going to bring deliverance. I'm going to... All those people that have laughed at you, all those people that have made fun of you, I'm going to beat them up. I'm going to get them for you. How would you feel if the day didn't go exactly the way you thought it would? How would you react if that day didn't go exactly the way you had anticipated that day going. That's the struggle for the Jews in Jesus' day. They expected a night. They expected a fight. They didn't expect a basin and a towel. They didn't expect a donkey. They didn't expect their deliverer to die on a cross. They expected their enemies, their oppressors, to be put to death there. They didn't get the kind of deliverance they thought they would get. Matthew 17, which you read just a minute ago, it says the day of the Lord has come. Luke 1, verse 78, Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, says, The day of the Lord has come. You know there are two ways to address the the issue of your enemies. You know there are two ways to get rid of your enemies. One way is to kill them all. The other is to make them your friends. You have two ways of dealing with them the Jews expected the Messiah to come in and destroy them all at once in an in instant with, with one quick wave of His hand, with one ride through town on His big giant white stallion, sword drawn, cut off all their heads, and boom, and now the Israelites are saying, now we're the big boys now. Because our Messiah has delivered us from this oppression. Turn with me to Second Peter chapter 3. Let me show you how Peter envisioned the day of the Lord. Is the day of the Lord in our past? Well, yes. Is the day of the Lord in our future? Well, yes. But the reality is the New Testament sees the day of the Lord as both the first and second coming of Christ. 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 8, Do not overlook this one fact, beloved. exposed. Do you see? Peter says the day of the Lord is still yet to come. It's still in our future. It's referring to the second coming of Christ. In other words, there turns out there's a time gap between His first and second coming. And the New Testament sees the day of the Lord as both. It refers to both as the day of the Lord. The Old Testament looking ahead anticipates the coming of the Messiah. Peter says that what the Jews thought would happen the first time is what's actually going to happen the second time. But I want you to notice why the delay in 2 Peter 3. See, the Israelites thought, they were convinced that God doesn't do anything about the wicked people around us because either He can't or he doesn't care, so he must approve of what they're doing. Peter says neither of those is true. It's not that he can't, and it's not that he won't. It's not his powerless. It's not his slowness. It's his patience. In other words, he envisions those who fear the Lord He envisions that number growing. He envisions that number increasing. He envisions you and me actually participating in growing the kingdom of God so that we participate, we evangelize, we go out and share the Gospel with people and bring others into the household of faith. The picture is that God will save His people. He will bring His people to Repentance and that's the hope of Malachi four. It ends with with hope and anticipation, even with a bit of warning at the end of the last verse. Parents and children, their hearts turn to each other, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. he anticipates the kingdom growing that there will be repentance there will be faith there will be restoration let me make a couple of applications just to the first is what's your attitude towards the law the commands of god and the promises of God, the Word of God, do you disdain them? Do you disdain His, dec- His decrees? Do you, do you bear up under them as though they're a burden and you feel oppressed by them and you really are angry about them, but you do them because you're pretty sure that that's a better business decision than not doing so? You're hedging your bets. I, I'm going to do some stuff for God and, and treat it like a, a business decision. How you answer that question this morning will give you an idea of which of these two groups in Malachi 4 you're in. Where you'll spend eternity. If, you're ang- if, you, if you hate God, if you're angry at Him and disdain His commands and are among the arrogant and the evil doers, while there is still time, will you receive Christ today? a second application from this passage it's tempting as believers to gather in the church and look down our noses at the people outside the church it's pretty tempting to to gather together and and have this disdain and hatred and and oh those poor oh, bless their hearts we look down on the people that are that are out there so to speak and yet this passage warns us it reminds us that our salvation is all of grace because it's the the righteousness from the rising sun that we receive as righteousness to our account it doesn't come from ourselves. So it reminds us that our salvation is all of grace. But it also encourages us rather than lobbing insults at people out there from the supposed safety of of our city walls, to actually go to them. To love them. To evangelize. to, To carry the Gospel with us. If they are doomed to destructive fire. Oh, that we would love them enough to pull them back. Oh, that we would love them enough to run after them and warn them and bring them into a saving relationship with Christ. Lest we show ourselves to be the arrogant at heart. We praise God that His patience with our own rebellion is what drives the delay before the return of Christ. But we also praise God for the sure and certain hope of His return. Let's pray together. (coughs) Father in Heaven, we thank You for warning us in the book of Malachi, for warning us against our own uh, sin and arrogance and evil doing, for warning us against treating our relationship with You as merely a business decision. Father, we pray that You would grant us the grace, grant us Your Spirit, that You would so work in our hearts, that You would stir our hearts to love You, to fear You, that our relationship with You would be set right. Father, would You use us to reach the lost? Would You use us to warn those who are left to themselves will be stubble for the fire in the day of the Lord? Father, we pray that You would stir our hearts to love them, to seek them, to to with all our energy pull them back from the deadly flame. And Father, we pray that You would be at work in their hearts even before we get there that they would trust in You at the hearing of the Gospel. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.